Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. When Peter Jackson accepted one of his many Oscars for Lord of the Rings back in 2004, he said that finally Hollywood had embraced the F-word. Wait for it. He was talking about fantasy. Fantasy, he implied, had been shunned by the industry for decades, relegated to B-movie status or kids' cartoons. Well, of course, Jackson didn't know the half of it. Fantasy of one sort or another has ruled the roost ever since. The eye of the enemy is moving. The end has come. But it was always thus. There's nothing quite like a glorified genre picture to attract the critics and reap the rewards. The well-worn gangster movie was turned into Greek tragedy by films like The Godfather and TV shows like The Sopranos. The cowboys and Indians of the movie's youth became art in the hands of John Ford, Ang Lee, the Coen brothers and now Jane Campion. Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. A perfect example of one generation's trash is another's artistic masterpiece was Guillermo del Toro's Oscar winner, The Shape of Water. It was a unique blend of Romeo and Juliet and rubber monster films like Creature from the Black Lagoon. I can either save him or let him die. Don't do this, Eliza. Don't do this. Part of the appeal of all genre pictures, good or bad, is their filmmaking at its purest. They can only be done as movies. Not even comics, the genre picture's closest relative, can achieve the deafening effect of a fantasy film in full cry. You can't protect. Any of them. Well, this week we're awash with fantasy of all sorts. We open with the incredibly strange winner of the Cannes Film Festival this year, Titan. By contrast, another French film, Petite Maman, is quieter fantasy in the tradition of Henry James, perhaps, or some of Miyazaki's Japanese masterpieces. And from the sublime to the dumb and proud of it comes the return of digital rubber monster Venom. Let there be carnage blends Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with the old Odd Couple TV series, then aims it firmly at 12-year-olds of all ages. You live in my body. You live by my rules. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me, please. Let me fix it. So I can fix it again. You are a loser. 
And first, when it opened in competition at Cannes, it caused a stir. But when it won the Palme d'Or, it was a sensation. Titan. The French film Titan and its director, Julia Ducourneau, are both, to put it mildly, not for all tastes. Ducourneau's previous feature, Raw, had a heroine with an interest in cannibalism. Alexia in Titan takes it to the next level. Even the film's best friends concede that Titan is transgressive and violent, but in a good way, they say. The film opens with close-ups of expensive engineering, the insides of an American classic car. Cut to a man driving with the radio on, trying to drown out the noise of his bored ten-year-old daughter, Alexia. Finally, he snaps, turns to yell at Alexia and crashes the car. Alexia wakes up after surgery. She's fine on the surface, but she's now got a metal plate in her skull made of titanium. Titan in French. Il a pas de risque que la plaque bouge dans sa tête, hein? Non. Sauf en cas de choc violent, c'est très solide. C'est en titane. Years later, Alexia is a famous erotic dancer, often performing at car festivals. The fans flock around her, but she coldly brushes them off. Except sometimes a fan won't take a hint. Mais peut-être qu'on peut essayer d'être amis déjà, et puis après on verra. Alors, t'en penses quoi? Look out, fanboy. Alexia takes no prisoners. She stabs him to death and then, as far as I can see, gets a taste for this sort of thing. Titan doesn't really go in for bourgeois concepts like motivation. Perhaps he just wasn't her type. Shortly afterwards, she starts an affair with a woman dancer she met at a car show. Well, look out, woman dancer too. For even less reason, Alexia bumps her off, followed by one of her flatmates who's a possible witness, and then three more people at the flat. How many of you are there? asks Alexia exasperatedly. Mais vous êtes combien ici, en fait? Comment ça? Bah, il y a Cricri, Romu, Juju et moi. Pourquoi il y en a d'autres qui arrivent? J'espère pas. Well, that's the tone at the start at any rate. Callous and flippant, embracing Titan's genre roots. And then there's the film's defining scene. There's a thunderous knock at Alexia's door. It's a big Cadillac who won't take no for an answer. Now, this is the test for many people, I imagine. You either go with car romances serial killer or you don't. Perhaps it helps if you can imagine a Transformers movie directed by Jean-Luc Godard. 
time to go now, obviously, with the cops and the media hot on Alexia's trail. Have you seen this blonde, beautiful woman killing random people? Read the headlines. So Alexia cuts off the blonde hair, then batters her face to make it less beautiful and certainly less recognisable. Well, no one told me about her The way she lied but it's too late to say you're sorry. Then she tightly bandages her body so she can pass as a man. A man called Adrian. She chooses Adrian because it's the name of a long missing person. She thinks that if she can convince Adrian's grieving father, Vincent, then he'll confirm her new identity. She convinces Vincent with remarkable ease, it has to be said. Vincent is the captain of the local fire station, surrounded by strangely glamorous firemen who all look like Chippendale dancers, particularly when they dance together after putting out a fire, as you do. Vincent has convinced himself that the newly arrived Adrian is in fact his son and the film turns its attention to their relationship. Or at least it does if you're not still sidetracked by the fact that Adrian Alexia is increasingly pregnant and the identity of the father doesn't bear thinking about. Now, if you're worried about this, you may not be the target audience for Titan. But if you, like the jury at the Cannes Film Festival, obviously, have been hanging out for a combination of art film and video nasty, featuring the excesses of David Cronenberg, David Lynch and Claire Denis, well, here it is. Like it or hate it, Titan is certainly like nothing I've seen before, though there may be a reason for that. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she acted. Once the films based on Marvel Comics really started rolling, there have been so many they've had to be shared between several companies. There are the actual official Marvel releases, Iron Man, Thor, The Avengers and so on. There are the X-Men and Deadpool films made by Fox. And there's Columbia, who mostly make Spider-Man and, more recently, Venom. Good evening, Eddie. Hey, Mrs. Chen. Good evening, Venom. Bunson Hall, Mrs. Chen. He says hi. One is the loneliest Venom is distinguished from the mainstream Marvel product by being deliberately a bit juvenile. It's quite violent, but it's M-rated violent. There's a remarkably low body count, for instance, which is unusual since our anti-hero is a thing from another planet that likes to eat people. Eddie, we should be out there snacking on bad guys. I am a predator. I need to be free. Let me explain, or rather let Eddie Brock explain. Eddie is a washed-up journalist. He makes Spider-Man's hapless alter ego Peter Parker look like a Pulitzer Prize winner. 
One day, Eddie's body was taken over by an alien being called Venom. I chose you. You chose me? Buddy, I'm the only person that took you in when your friends kicked you off the planet Ming-Mong because you are a reject. You are a pariah. Lethal protection, my ass. You couldn't protect anything. You are useless. You can get a job down here cleaning toilets. Venom may look terrifying when he pops out of Eddie's body, all teeth and tongue, but he and Eddie and a few of Eddie's closest friends all seem to get along, so long as Venom is fed properly. If he can't find any bad guys to eat, Venom is perfectly satisfied with chocolate, which he picks up at Mrs. Chen's corner shop. The chocolate delivery hasn't arrived yet. No! We had a deal. What's going to happen? You're going to stop protecting me? I am happy to eat, Mrs. Chen! No, no, you cannot eat, Mrs. Chen. What? Nothing. There's also a lacklustre subplot involving Eddie pining for his ex-fiancée, Anne. Anne seems to be a bit of a waste of Michelle Williams, but maybe she asked for her part to be reduced. Don't worry, Michelle, nobody you know will ever see you in Venom. Oh, wow. You could just say I'm happy for you. That was going to be us. I am happy for you. No! God, I'm so sorry. Not sorry! These two need some serious couples counseling. No such luck for star Tom Hardy, who plays both Eddie and Venom. Tom possibly took on the role for the money a couple of years back, presuming something as flimsy as this was a one-off deal. I say either, I say either, I say neither, and I say neither, neither, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off! Au contraire, Tom. To everyone's astonishment, the first Venom conquered the box office and the second one looks like it might repeat the trick. Venom, let there be carnage, finds Eddie being summoned to the local prison where homicidal maniac Cletus is about to make a date with fate. What does he want? Maybe he wants to spill the beans about where the missing bodies are buried. So you're going to have to do the right thing for a change. Cletus specifically wanted to see Eddie for some reason, but what can it be? Eddie reluctantly turns up, expecting a good serial killer story for his employers. But he's shocked to discover it was all a ruse as Cletus lunges at him and bites his finger. What's mine? It's yours. And what's yours? It's mine. I have tasted blood before, and that is not it. Well, don't worry about it. It's just a plot device to put some venom-type blood into the body of... Did I mention Cletus was a homicidal maniac? All I ever wanted in this world... ...is carnage. No sooner is Cletus infected than he turns into a rather bigger and redder version of Venom at the very moment he's about to be executed. And these days he prefers to go by carnage. Soon come chaos. Chaos soon come, he says. Sounding a little bit like Bruce Forsyth in the old Generation game. Soon come chaos. Carnage is played by Hollywood good sport Woody Harrelson, an actor who'll give you a brilliant performance, comic or dramatic if you need it, and a performance like this if you don't. 
every decision we ever make. Who do we leave behind? And how do we leave them? The Carnage storyline, such as it is, involves freeing an old girlfriend called Shriek. Not so much phoned in by Naomi Harris as screamed in. The film is directed by Andy Serkis, of all people, who was possibly picked because of his familiarity with two characters sharing one body. Oh, where are you going? That is a red one! You need to come out right now. I will let you eat everybody! Promise! I promise! Oh, yeah! Venom, Let There Be Carnage makes no claims to be high art or even the superior sort of entertainment that the official Marvel company makes. It's a pure, old-fashioned genre picture, the sort that nobody likes but the public. Let them have it, I say. Ta-da! Catch up! Excuse me? Yummy! French screenwriter-director Céline Sharma is no stranger to New Zealand screens. She made the touching Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but before that she made the even better Tomboy and Girlhood. She also wrote an extraordinary animated feature called My Life as a Courgette. Her latest release is called Petite Maman. One thing just about all Celine Sharma's films have in common is that they're often about young women, in many cases very young. We meet eight-year-old Nellie as she farewells her friends at a retirement home. Her grandmother has just died there. Nellie is taken by her parents to Grandma's house. Grandma was the mother of Nellie's mother, Marion. They have to clear away a houseful of memories. Nellie and her mother talk about growing up in this house and how Marion built a hut in the woods when she was Nellie's age. Nellie is aware that her parents are having problems. In fact, Mum takes off the next morning without even waking Nellie up. To distract her, Dad gives Nellie things to do inside and outside the house. Then Nellie goes for a walk. Along the way, she meets another little girl around the same age as her. The two girls are quick to make friends, and Nellie's neighbour asks for a hand. She's building a hut in the woods. It takes a while to sink in, but we notice something that girls take a while to spot. They're not around the same age. They're exactly the same age. And that's not all. It's like looking in a mirror. Neither girl initially makes any more of it than the fact that they get along very easily. Like so many of Celine Sharma's films, it seems to be about girls and their best friends. <laughs> Je 
It's only when Nellie's new friend tells her she's called Marion, like Nellie's mother, that the penny drops. The two identical houses, the hut in the woods, the instant rapport. She tells Marion her suspicions, and Marion has no trouble accepting it. You're from the future, she asks. But where most time travel stories get bogged down with hot tub time machine mechanical details, that's not what Petite Maman is out to do. This isn't about going back into time to change the present or the future. This is asking a far more basic question. You look at these two delightful eight-year-old girls played beautifully by twins Josephine and Gabrielle Sands and their joy at being together at devising intricate games and stories. And you ask, where does adult sadness come from? Why is the older version of these girls struggling so much with her life? The film is taken entirely from the girls' point of view, and while it's not particularly for children, it's open-hearted enough for anyone to enjoy. At just one hour, ten minutes, it's a perfect length, too. Petite Maman is a joy to watch, and set in a rather more convincing eight-year-old world than the Disney Channel version we're so used to. Celine Sharma has an enviable passport into that world that so many of us lose all too quickly. This is a film that will linger in the memory long after the flashy and sensational have gone. There's clearly more than one sort of fantasy out there. Which brings this show to a close. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.